The day on which lawlessness reared its ugly head at Blanding's Castle was one of singular beauty. The sun shone down from a sky of cornflower blue, and what one would really like would be to describe in leisurely detail the ancient battlements, the smooth green lawns, the rolling parkland, the majestic trees, the well-bred bees, and the gentlemanly birds on which it shone. But those who read thrillers are an impatient race. They chafe at scenic rhapsodies and want to get onto the rough stuff. When, they ask, did the dirty work start? Who were mixed up in it? Was there blood? And, if so, how much? And most particularly, where was everybody and what was everybody doing at whatever time it was? The chronicler who wishes to grip must supply this information at the earliest possible moment. The wave of crime, then, which was to rock one of Shropshire's stateliest homes to its foundations, broke out towards the middle of a fine summer afternoon, and the persons involved in it were disposed as follows. Clarence, ninth Earl of Emsworth, the castle's owner and overlord, was down in the potting shed, in conference with Angus McAllister, his head gardener, on the subject of sweet peas. His sister, Lady Constance was strolling on the terrace with a swarthy young man in spectacles whose name was Rupert Baxter, and who had at one time been Lord Emsworth's private secretary. Beach, the butler, was in a deck chair outside the back premises of the house, smoking a cigar and reading chapter 16 of The Man with the Missing Toe. George, Lord Emsworth's grandson, was prowling through the shrubbery with the air gun, which was his constant companion. Jane, his lordship's niece, was in the summer-house by the lake. And the sun shone serenely down on, as we say, the lawns, the battlements, the trees, the bees, the best type of bird, and the rolling parkland. Presently, Lord Emsworth left the potting-shed and started to wander towards the house. He had never felt happier. All day his mood had been one of perfect contentment and tranquillity, and, for once in a way, Angus McAllister had done nothing to disturb it. Too often, when you tried to reason with that human mule, he had a way of saying, hmm, and looking Scotch, and then saying, hmm, and looking Scotch again, and, after that, just fingering his beard, and looking Scotch without speaking, which was intensely irritating to a sensitive employer. But this afternoon, Hollywood yes-men could have taken his correspondence course, and Lord Emsworth had none of that uneasy feeling which usually came to him on these occasions, that the moment his back was turned, his own sound...